0: This is an ABC podcast. Hey, ladies, as a warning, this episode contains some sensitive stuff. Like, I'm sure you get it, you've clicked on an episode called Abortion. Just to be clear, though, this isn't an episode about whether or not abortion is right or wrong. This is about women who've experienced it. She
1: is way too young to be a mum. She's way too naive. Her,
2: a mum? Parents? Nah, I don't think so.
1: There's a stereotype about abortions. That women who have them are young and irresponsible. They're party girls or sluts. They're kids who haven't figured out how sex works yet and they're unprepared for adulthood and definitely not ready to look after a baby. But research doesn't support that. According to data from Mari Stopes, which runs not-for-profit family planning and abortion clinics, middle-aged women are far more likely to have abortions than teenagers. It's also a pretty common procedure. According to research published in the Australian and New Zealand Journal of Public Health, it's estimated that one in six Australian women in their 30s has had an abortion. So if they're the facts why do we pretend that abortion is something that happens to other people?
2: I really don't like the word abortion. I don't know why. It feels really hard for me to say after having three, I should be able to get used to it. But for some reason for me, psychologically, when I say termination of pregnancy, I don't know if it's like makes it seem more clinical, but for some reason that's, that's how I feel more comfortable.
1: I'm Yumi Steins. Ladies, we need to talk about abortion. In this episode, we're going to hear from three different women who have had abortions. Three women at three different stages of life.
3: I didn't think I was going to be pregnant and... I think at that moment I thought, oh, I'm still a child myself. How am I going to be a mum?
1: This is Jan. We've given her a different name for this episode. She's 21 and about a year ago she found out she was pregnant. She'd only just started seeing her boyfriend and she was in her last year of uni. Jan
3: was on the pill, but she realised that she hadn't had her period in a while. I think it was just more a moment of confusion like not knowing what to do. I feel like that moment I feel like I needed to take responsibilities for my own actions for the first time, Um, that it was going to be a really big decision and that I guess it wasn't going to be easy for anyone going through this.
1: So at that moment were you running... (laughs) different scenarios through your head. This is me with a baby. This is me without a baby. This is me going to the abortion clinic. Like what, was that sort of the way your mind was working?
3: Yeah. Like I was thinking like, should I keep the kid? What the consequences would be? And like, we weren't even married at the time. And I guess in my culture, it's not really good if you have a kid before you get married. And I was thinking, how is this going to impact my studies i'm just going to graduate and i knew i was going to further my studies as well and i just don't know how this kid's going to fit in in all my original plans like you go through the thing where you grow up overnight like i think the the next day when i grew up when i woke up i'm like i can't believe i'm a mom and i'm nurturing a kid
1: yan was very practical in weighing up her options motherhood or terminate the pregnancy Having others assume that her decision was already made did not make things easier.
3: The ultrasound, um, I had it before my abortion as a standard checkup, and I think it was the person who performed the ultrasound assumed I was going to keep the baby. And um, she was very like, congratulations, you know, um, the baby's very healthy and, like, telling me, like, the baby had a heartbeat as well. And I think that made it so difficult because I was kind of like... Can I just take one photo of the baby and send it to my um, partner? Because it's going to be like our only memory of it. Yeah, that made it very hard if someone assumes that the baby is going to be kept.
1: Have you still got the photo?
3: Yes. It's still on my phone and I still look at it Occasionally.
1: There are two types of abortion available in Australia. One's surgical; the other is medical, where you take a pill. In Jan's case, she took the pill.
3: I guess it was a very painful experience, and then I um, was bleeding for I think around six hours, heavily bleeding, in a lot of pain because you felt so uncomfortable. Yeah, it was a very lonely experience because I was I couldn't tell anyone. And it was just my boyfriend with me. And I couldn't tell my mom about this as well. And it was just kind of like I was suffering in silence. And I guess it's very hard for a man to understand what you're going through.
1: Suffering in silence is such a common experience with abortion. You're at a really vulnerable point in your life, experiencing wild hormone fluctuations and other physical symptoms that no one else can see, and feeling like maybe you'll be judged or ostracized makes it that much harder. One year on, Jan's still with the same guy, and she thinks she'll be ready for kids at some point. But actually, plenty of women who have abortions are much older. So
4: generally, there's a perception that most women that have abortions are young and certainly under 20. But we know from just looking at a snapshot of our data that we had more women over 36 having abortions than younger than age 20. And generally, we are seeing women who are lots of different age groups. But in the older age groups, um, women do have, seek abortion, often in long term relationships, often when
1: their families are complete This is Dr Katrina Melville. She's Deputy Medical Director at Mari Stopes, one of the main places women can go to for an abortion in Australia. She says that apart from the misconception that it's mainly young women having an abortion, there are also plenty of myths about the procedure itself. So, for example, the long-term health
4: effects, um, like mental health problems or that it causes you to have breast cancer, or in fact that it makes you infertile in the future. So those things are really common misconceptions.
1: So just to go back over some of those myths, none of those things are
4: true? No, they're not true. And we have got quite good research um, looking, because lots of women have had abortions over many, many years. And we know that if the abortion is uncomplicated, which most are, that there's no change to your ability to have children in the future. Obviously, it can be quite an upsetting time for women, so there are some changes in your mental health at the time in some women, but there is no evidence that there's any long-term health impact in terms of mental health. And, in fact, what we do know is that it's the stigma and guilt that surrounds abortion that is the thing that actually does cause upset in mental health rather than the abortion itself.
1: Far out. Did you hear that? Abortion stigma is what leads to mental distress, not the abortion itself. And here's another thing that's really surprising. More than half the people who get an abortion were on some form of contraception. And that stat does not even include people who took the morning-after pill. And all this misunderstanding happens because, seriously, have you noticed that they either teach you nothing about abortion in sex ed at school, which is my case, or they teach you the religious version, which from anecdotal evidence is less about a woman's options and more about instilling the fear of God in her? I asked Dr Katrina for the lesson that I never got in high school. So medical
4: abortion has been available for um, a couple of decades throughout the world. Australia was a bit late to the table with that because we only got the drug licence in 2012. But medical abortion is actually using a combination of two different tablets. So you take one tablet and that essentially blocks the pregnancy hormone. And then 36 to 48 hours later, you take a different type of medication, which causes your uterus to have cramps and that expels the pregnancy. It's a procedure that under nine weeks is available to women and it also can be done in the convenience of their own home. So women quite often like that access to a very private procedure and they also feel quite in control of the process. Is it painful? It is associated with cramps and I guess the cramps are very variable depending on lots of things including how far along you are and how women perceive pain. So I've had women on the phone afterwards telling me that it wasn't As uncomfortable as their normal periods. I've had some women that say it's about the same as their periods and then other women say that when they were passing the pregnancy they did find that quite uncomfortable. Generally it's a short-lived discomfort and women seem to be choosing to put up with that discomfort because
1: they prefer to choose the procedure and the convenience of that. And forgive me if I'm being so blunt but what comes out of your body? Is it just like a period or is it more
4: when they're passing the pregnancy it does tend to be heavier than a period for a short time and you do also pass blood clots that can be even golf ball sized and then you usually will you don't always see this but you will pass the pregnancy sac, which is generally very small under nine weeks we're talking a couple of centimeters so women don't often actually view the pregnancy sac. they'll just maybe see blood clots and blood so to them it will be like um, quite a heavy period for a couple of hours or a bit heavier than a period Let's talk about surgical abortion. What's involved there? So the surgical abortion um, can be done at after nine weeks as well, which again, the main thing about choosing a type of procedure is that you know the women have the choice in the first place and also they feel comfortable with their choice. So surgical procedures are available after nine weeks, as I mentioned, and generally they're performed as a day case. So women will have to come into some sort of clinic or service and get assessed by the nurse, doctor and anaesthetist. And usually they're performed under sedation, although if you are quite early, they can be done with a local anaesthetic and um, women sometimes choose that or they, they um, have medical reasons they can't have sedation and sometimes um, some medication is given just to soften up the cervix to make the procedure a bit easier for the woman and for the clinician and then the person is the patient's sedated and the cervix is opened and the pregnancy is taken away and that's usually using a suction device
1: so, it doesn't have to be cut up
4: or anything? No, nothing. Um, not, no, we use um, a suction device just to remove the pregnancy surgically.
1: Okay, so I feel like I've got my head around what actually takes place when you get an abortion. Let's move on to the next of our three women. This is Bonnie, she's 31.
0: Well, uh, it's all very cliche. We got married and um, after the wedding, (laughs) we enjoyed the usual uh, evening and then morning and then we went on our honeymoon and I felt a little less like myself and came home about a week later and missed my period and did a pregnancy test and it was confirmed. And then had a blood test the next day, and they confirmed a couple of days later that I was in fact pregnant. We gave it some thought and decided that it wasn't for us straight away. Um, I did ask my husband to have some time to himself and think about what he really wants. Obviously, considering that if he really wanted to move forward with it, then you know that would make that would change our mind or at least change some things. And he said, look, you know, let's just – we wanted a year of just relaxing and just the two of us. We've been together a long time, nearly 10 years by that point. Um, But, yeah, it just wasn't for us. And so we made a decision that weekend to contact our doctor and have chats further about our options from there.
1: Bonnie, you were five and a half weeks pregnant when you had your abortion. If the circumstances were any different, do you think that you would have chosen to keep the baby?
0: Uh, I think so. We had or I had the ultrasound at five and a half weeks and the technician sort of, he obviously didn't know any of the background but he was just doing his job, but he said, oh, look, it's very faint and I can't detect a heartbeat at this point but it's there. And I got in the car and I went, oh, that made me feel a little bit better. But if it had have been... um, The timing, if it had progressed over a couple more weeks, I think it would be a very different situation. There was a very fine line between the decision we made versus becoming a mother.
1: Within your social circle, were many of your friends pregnant?
0: (laughs) Uh, A lot. Mostly all of them were either thinking about it or had babies or having babies the past 12 months. So yeah, it's very much in my everyday life. But that didn't my decision was for me and I would never do anything just because all my girlfriends were, you know, in that place in their life.
1: To be honest, yeah. I probably would. Like that's the sort of stuff does influence me a bit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> if all your bridesmaids yeah. were pregnant, weren't they? They were, they were. And for me it was just what was best for us as a couple, me as an individual, what we wanted out of, out of last year. Um, And we wanted just something where a year of just enjoying the two of us. I knew from the moment I found out that it wasn't the right timing. My girlfriends wouldn't have changed my position on that.
1: The weekend that you decided to terminate the pregnancy, you described that as frighteningly easy.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it was. I think uh, it came very easy to us. We just went, well, this just isn't for us right now. And I think, you know, a couple of weeks later, once we'd completed the process, I suppose is the way you could say it, um, I thought to myself, wow, that was something. It wasn't, an, it wasn't an emotional decision for me. And maybe to this day, I still can't decide or can't figure out why. And then, you know, you go through the motions of, well, am I heartless or do I not have a soul? But again, I still own my or our decision. But, yeah, it was easy. And whether that makes me a bad person, I don't know.
1: Bonnie is completely comfortable with her decision, and that's the thing we've learnt putting together this episode – The regret narrative, this notion that abortion aggrieves women, gives them a secret lifelong shame that they are, for the rest of their lives, trailed by ghosts of babies that could have been, that's just not the common experience. Researching this episode, I read a book about abortion called Choice Words, and writer Eleanor Savage sums it up beautifully. I had zero emotional after-effects from that abortion, she writes, though I felt as though I couldn't mention this too often or too loudly in case it seemed in some way to trivialise the emotional after-effects some others experienced after their abortions. For a straightforward and very common medical procedure, you'd actually be amazed by how difficult it is to get hard stats on it in this country – Abortion is still under criminal law in South Australia and New South Wales. Doctors who perform abortions there operate within a loophole. There are no concrete figures on the number of abortions that happen each year and only a couple of states even collect the data. The best guess is that between 65 and 80,000 abortions happen every year. Dr Katrina says Australia needs a better national picture. For reasons that
4: escape me, this hasn't been introduced in many of the states and territories. And I'm not really certain why, because the data's anonymized, so it's not breaching anyone's confidence. And actually, if we have this data available, it's a really powerful tool for us as clinicians and also for women because we can look at what the rates are in abortion and whether they're falling or increasing. And you can also hone down to different groups of women. So, for example, the most vulnerable women, women from um, different areas or different regions, we can look at their abortion rates, and um, perhaps even in different age groups, and that can help us then shape services in the future. So we can say, you know, there's lots of young women in this regional area, there may be that. They There's a lack of contraception or a lack of knowledge. So it would be a very powerful tool, but we just don't have that available in Australia. Do other
1: countries that you know of collect national abortion data?
4: Being obviously quite biased because I am from Scotland, we have a fantastically robust abortion reporting system in Scotland that's been around for many years. And every year a report is available publicly and it breaks down exactly those figures I've mentioned. So we know the total number of abortions. We know what age group they're happening we know at what point in the pregnancy they're happening in, and we know what reason they're happening for. We also have the postcode of women where the abortions take place. So we can therefore target resources to those areas. So it would just be fantastic if we had a resource like that in Australia. It's so interesting to
1: hear you say that because you realise how shrouded this information is in Australia.
4: Yeah, it absolutely is. And and maybe that does come because of the taboo and the stigma surrounding abortion. You know, we have cancer statistics that are available nationally and other statistics um, from public health. But abortion data is just not something that's collected at a
1: national level. So without national figures, Mari Stopes has released some of its own data. They reckon that more than 60% of women who come to them for an abortion already have at least one child.
2: The first time I terminated a pregnancy, I was around 21 and I fell pregnant outside of a relationship. It was with someone who I didn't have a future with and it was actually falling pregnant that made me realise that what was I doing with this person? I mean, it's never an easy decision, but it, it wasn't torturous in the sense of, trying to choose whether it was the right thing for me, my future.
1: This is our third case study, Gemma. She's 33. She's had three abortions. Her first was when she was 21. I definitely remember. <laughs> um, it's not It's not something you forget. Uh,
2: so I was, because I, I did about Seven pregnancy tests because I did the first one. And went no, surely not. I know it says 99% accurate, but surely not. So I went to the chemist, bought some more. Then went back to the supermarket, bought some more. And uh, after doing seven pregnancy tests, I went oh, okay, I think I think this is right.
1: Gemma's second abortion happened while she was on the pill, and she took a course of antibiotics, which affected her birth control. And the last abortion was quite recent. It happened while she was breastfeeding her second child. So, with the third
2: termination, um, it was about a year ago, and it was so six months after the birth of our second child. So, we have two babies together now, and we fell, I fell pregnant again. Which, when I told my sister, she was just impressed that we'd found time to actually get it on with a six month old baby. Um, we hadn't been using contraception because I didn't think that I was even ovulating yet. I hadn't had my first, I hadn't had a period since um, giving birth. So, Not that that means much and I should know better. And that was definitely the feeling the whole time in having to deal with it of going, I should know better than this. Especially third time round, you're going, come on, what what are you doing? Um, Even though all the medical professionals were very nice of saying, it happens, it happens. There was a, a lot of feeling very foolish in having fallen pregnant. The considerations of whether to keep it were very different um, once you have kids you you know what it's like and you know what those sort of tiny little cells can turn into and those tiny little cells can be incredible brilliant little gorgeous human beings and also once you realise that you can parent you go well I, I should be able to do this again but It was too soon. There were so many things, other things happening in our lives, other than just having a three-year-old and a six-month-old. There was just masses of background things that were happening that were just making it way too difficult to bring someone else into that situation.
1: For Gemma and her partner... Just coming out of the fog of caring for a newborn, the idea of another child in the mix was too much to bear.
2: I had only just started back at my degree, so I decided to go back as a mature age student. I'd taken six months off to have my second child and I'd only been back a week when I found out that I was pregnant again. I had only just returned to work and I knew that I wouldn't get maternity leave financially. We were in a really tough spot. So my husband had, um, had a business that he wrapped up and he'd only just started working again. And the reason why my husband's business had wrapped up was because he had suffered from really severe depression and that had stopped him from being able to work for Quite a while, and that was all while I was pregnant with our second child. That had a lot of um, impact on me as well and my mental health to the point where during my pregnancy I was managed by some amazing, amazing professionals that were offered to me through the midwives of the hospital to just help me manage with manage my stress. And sort of at that six month mark. When you've got a a six-month-old baby, things start to get just that tiny bit easier and it was like we'd all started to enjoy our little family again and it was really hard to imagine what bringing another baby. Even just the stress of the pregnancy, I was worried about that, the, the impact of that on my husband and myself and so I made the decision to terminate the pregnancy and I feel like my husband took a much bigger step back in, in making the decision saying, you know, we know we can do this, so if you want to do it, we'll do it. Um, and it was much harder to get from him what he wanted. And it did feel like a cop-out. It really did. It felt like him. He, it, the only thing he could really offer was like, it's your body. I'm like, it is my body, but this is our family. This is our life. And all the considerations I will make, I was making, they weren't based on on my body, they weren't based on the fact that I have a uterus. It was based on our lives in general, and you know whether we had capacity. I mean, you've always got capacity to love. The, the, it's it's never a question of whether you can love a child, because that that's instant and unconditional and easy. That's the easiest part. It's just about the capacity of being able to make sure you give that child the best possible opportunity to be a wonderful, thoughtful human being and just
1: hopefully not a dickhead. Mate, kids that aren't dickheads, that's all we hope for, right? During the process of her third abortion, Gemma lived through a lot of family awkwardness mum decided
2: to to spin it in such a way as to say that I had had a miscarriage. So unfortunately then snowballed because my dad had decided to include my siblings and say Gemma's had a miscarriage, she's ended up a bit sick and in hospital and so I ended up with all of these messages of sympathy from my siblings which was just awful because here I was feeling utterly ashamed and wanting it to be quiet and my mother sort of reinforcing the fact that I should be ashamed by making me call it something that it's not and then getting sympathy from, you know, the people that I love the most for something that I felt ashamed for doing. It was altogether just horrible.
1: Abortion is handled very differently depending on where you live. Each state and territory has its own rules. Something as random as which state you live in can mean the difference between a seamless, supported experience of abortion and something expensive, harrowing and secretive. Dr Katrina reckons making abortion services national and more accessible would make the world of difference.
4: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very interesting because obviously in Queensland, we've just had the termination of pregnancy bill introduced in 2018, which means that up to 22 weeks, you can access an abortion if you see one medical practitioner. But then just over the border in New South Wales, it's still within criminal law. So that really demonstrates how patchwork the, the provision is. But it also moves deeper than just a change in law or legislation, because what we have seen as well is in that some states or territories where they have legalised abortion, this hasn't actually improved the service for women. So Tasmania is a perfect example where um, Tasmania has legalised abortion,
1: but access is incredibly poor for women. Why is that? I can't get over that you can't get an abortion in Tasmania. Well, they're just
4: there are no access to public services. There are a very small number of private providers. Generally when there isn't access it's because there are um, local services that don't want to offer it. Sometimes that's because they don't have the resources but often it's individual teams or clinicians that object to abortion so they're conscientious objectors. So it's not just taboo and stigmatised for the women, it can be very taboo and stigmatising for the clinicians, the doctors and nurses that are part of an
1: abortion clinic or offering abortion care. There is some mind-blowing unfairness when it comes to access to abortions in Australia, particularly if you're based in a regional area or a state like Tasmania. Travel costs and medical fees can be insurmountable enough to force a woman to have the baby when she'd much rather terminate. Dr Katrina says, of course, it's women who suffer.
4: I mean, I'm a clinician and, and this is my job and I've been trained to provide healthcare. so, you know, I can suck it up <laughs> um, and generally I, I know what kind of um, views people around me have about different parts of my job Women generally, when they're coming to see someone they don't have a choice, you know, the, the choice has been made, they were seeking an abortion and they don't choose to be alienated by society or to suffer this dreadful feeling of guilt because it is such a
1: to Process, so I, I definitely think the woman is the one that suffers. Katrina, how can we be better supporters of women who are going through something like an abortion?
4: Um, I think the main thing is to listen and to not judge, and to be you know open to what what women are telling us. I would love to see abortion just situated in health like any other gynaecological procedure, which is what it is. You wouldn't judge somebody for having hysterectomy or being sterilised. Why would you judge them for having um, an abortion, which is, after all, a medical procedure? So I think we need to open the discussion. Um, We need to support women that are going through um, an abortion and hopefully if we get this more into the public forum, it will
1: just help to destigmatise it. Accidental pregnancies happen and I don't know if you've noticed, but managing contraception tends to generally fall on the woman. So whether it's you missing a day on your pill or stuffing up your fertile window, having antibiotics, breaking a condom or just forgetting, mate, you're only human. We should point out that if you find yourself in this situation and have concerns or reservations about speaking to your doctor... Mary Stopes also has a telehealth service, which operates everywhere except ACT and South Australia. Otherwise, you can also contact the family planning service in your state or territory. We'll put their numbers in our show notes for you. You can find Ladies We Need to Talk on a podcast app or on the ABC Listen app. Ladies is mixed by Anne-Marie de It is produced by Cassandra Steith, supervising producer is Madeline Jenner and our executive producer is Justine Kelly. This series was created by Claudine Ryan. The manager of Audio Studios is Kelly Reardon.